Hello and welcome to the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson, the podcast designed to give you all the financial advice you'll ever need. This is episode 155, where in a moment we discuss Income Protection Week. That's in just a sec, as I say, but please bear in mind, if you have a general financial query, you're in the right place because we have an enormous resource of free advice right here. And you can access it all simply through delving into our back catalogue of shows, because in our programmes to date, we've featured loads of stuff. Mortgages, vesting, wills and powers of attorney, and heaps more. You name it, we've done it pretty much. And last time, we discussed how much will financial advice cost. Find the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts, and you'll get us there. As I say, an enormous resource, all available for free. Find our previous shows after listening to this one, and have a binge on what you need. While you're there, if you could rate and review us, for instance, you could tell us what we need to address to help you out and follow the show. And then that way, you'll get that episode when we record it next time. I'm John Ellis, and here's the star of our show, Phil Anderson. Hi, John. How are you? Good. Thank you, Phil. Um, Okay, so Income Protection Awareness Week. What's that exactly? Yeah, so Income Protection Awareness Week, it's just an awareness week which aims to, to highlight the need for income protection insurance. So it's happening this week. Happens at a different week. I, I don't know why. It was in October last year, September this year. So I um, don't know why it's moved. You would think it would be the same week mm. here, but it highlights such an important topic and subject, income protection. And I, I was looking, according to a study last year by Liverpool Victoria, or LV as they're now called, it said 56% of working adults would feel more financially resilient if they had insurance that pays an income if they couldn't work due to illness or injury. Um, And that same study actually found that one in four workers that don't have income protection insurance would actually like to to have it. So I think it's something that a lot of people would like to probably know a, a wee bit more about. And it's just a sad fact of life that if our outgoings or if our income was to stop for any reason, unfortunately your outgoings don't. That's that's mm. one thing. And then um state benefits aren't very good at all. Statutory sick pay, it's only £109.40 per week, and it's paid for up to 28 weeks. But according to the Office for National Statistics, the average household spends around £600 a week. So SSP or statutory sick pay just is nowhere near enough yeah. for what people would, would need. It's not going to cut it, is it? So when when I say who should be considering income protection, I, I mean, previously, Phil, I, I would have thought, well, the people who are self-employed, but it sounds like it's maybe more all-encompassing than just that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it's something that can be hugely beneficial for people who are self-employed, but it, is, it, it, it can also be a real benefit for people who are employed as well. And what, what you've got to think is, like, if your income was to stop and like, would you be able to get by or would you need some sort of maybe income protection or something that's that's going to give you something to, to cover that there? And, and some people will have savings and they'll say, right, I maybe don't feel I need income protection. But even people with savings should really consider income protection because I, I know some folk that think, well, I wouldn't want to be off long term and then have to eat into that savings. So I'd rather pay a little each month just to, to kind of know that if anything happens to me, it's not going to eat into it. So it is something that a lot of people should really be considering. We'll get on to what it exactly is in a moment, but just as you were speaking there, I was wondering, we've spoken before about the need and requirement to have an emergency savings account, to have something that will, if you can, support yourself for, for about three months minimum. 
Yeah. I'm wondering if you have income protection in place, does that not negate the need for emergency savings, but does it mean that it, it, this is kind of like the, the icing on top of the cake if you have income protection as well? Yeah, it's hard to know how long. I mean, if someone's off, like illness or incapacitated, it depends how long they're off for. So, I mean, for example, if somebody was to break a leg, depending on the type of job you're doing, somebody might be back to work quite quickly. Or if you've got a hard physical job, you might be off for, for months in, in that sort of situation. So it, it kind of, it's something that's tailored to each individual, depending on what your your kind of needs are. But I always think it's good to have an emergency fund because you never know what will come up. But that could be for like other things as well, not necessarily just for for them loss of income. Mm. And some people have got good sick pay. So some people will get paid so much from their work as well. So that's an important factor to, to kind of take into account as well. But everybody's needs are, are quite different. Yeah, now it may well be one of those products which does exactly what it says in the tin, but let's unpack it anyway. What exactly then does income protection insurance do and how does it work? Yeah, I would say it is, it is fairly straightforward to explain. It pays out an amount if you're unable to work due to incapacity caused by illness or injury resulting in loss of earnings. The monthly benefit, it's paid for the duration of a valid claim until either the client recovers, the policy ends, or the client were to die, whichever of these three things happens first. So if if you recover and go back to work, a policy would stop paying out at, at that point. Or if you hit the end of the term, it would expire at, at that stage. So that that's pretty much it. It really is quite a, a straightforward, well, I think it's quite, sounds yeah. quite yeah. a straightforward thing. I hope listeners are, are the same. Yeah, hit the end of the term, hit the end of your problem or hit the end of your life was the uh, the other I know that's more brutal one you didn't ask one you didn't want. <laughs> it's very cheery and business-like, isn't it? So the factors that you should consider when you're determining if income protection insurance is right for you, what are they, Phil? I mean, what do you have to take into account? Yeah, I mean, I mentioned you, you should take into account like any sick pay that you've got if you're off work. I tend to find people often overestimate what sick pay they get. They, they reckon that about one in four People don't know their sick pay. I personally think it's a lot more than that. Certainly in my experience, when I was advising clients, anytime I spoke to folk, they would be like, oh, I'll need to find that out. Or often felt people overestimated that they would be like, oh, I get six months full pay, six months half pay. And then you would say, well, go and look, check that out and make sure it's two. Mm. Then they'd come back and they'd be like, oh, I only actually get three months full pay, three months half pay. or So so that's definitely something that's that's a big factor when people are determining if it's right for them. They should also consider things like what savings they've got and also really just how they would get by if their income stopped. That That's kind of like the, the main thing with all of this. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I mean, I, I think probably you'll find, and I'm, I'm fairly certain on this, the only people really who know what they get if, if they're not working are the self-employed. <laughs> Because yeah, they get absolutely it. nothing, and yeah. that's why you have to chop the head clean off the shoulders if they're uh, if they're not going to be in for a day. Are there different types of income protection policies, and and how do they cater to different needs? There are there, there, there's numerous different options. Probably the simplest way for me to explain it is you've got short term income protection, and then you've got what I class as like full income protection. So a short term plan that will pay out for maybe if you're off for, say, up to a year or sometimes up to two years if, if you ever make a claim. If you go for one of the more sort of comprehensive plans or, as I call it, full income protection, that'll pay out for however long a claim is made. 
and potentially that could be right up until retirement age. Mm. So, so I could take out cover for, say, myself just now. I'm 47 now, and I could say, right, my retirement age is 67, so I'll take a policy out to cover me for the next 20 years until I retire. And if something happened and I never went back to work, that would keep paying out until I got to retirement age. Or if I went back to work sooner, it would stop at that point in time. So that's kind of like a comprehensive full income protection plan. But then the costs of them will be more than your sort of short-term policies. Absolutely. Like, yeah. They pay out for, say, a year or two years. Yeah, I was going to say, well, you know, what sort of things influence the cost then? The, the, the length of the policy, obviously, but is there anything else? Uh, Quite, quite a number of things. I mean, like you say, how long the, the policy would pay out potentially for. Other factors, somebody's age, their health, the type of job that they do is a, a big factor as well. Insurance companies will also look at like your hobbies and lifestyles. So if someone had, I, I don't know, like if somebody like jumping out of airplanes as a mm. hobby, that might not be so um, seen as good as somebody that doesn't do things like that. That, that's the sort of things that can influence it. And like, as you say, the, the waiting period or, or deferred period, it's sometimes called, that's when the claim pays out. So you, you've got some cover that will kick in maybe like day one. So if you're off, it'll pay out immediately. You've got other cover that can pay out. So like if you had, say, six months full pay, six months half pay, you might say, right, I'm going to choose a 52-week deferred period or you, you can actually split it so that they'll pay something out after, say, 26 weeks and then something out after 52. So you, the cover can be really tailored to, to your individual need, but quite a lot of factors that influence the costs. Yeah, I I, I just made a note to self saying, you know, give up unicycling and sword soling in the weekends because of, yeah. <laughs> clearly that's going to influence the cost of mine. Caving and potholing, that's one of the <laughs> questions they often ask. Oh, really? Caving and potholing, why is this? The thing that crosses my mind as well is when you're talking about all these things, there must be a, a physical exam required for this type of insurance, is there? Yeah, for most applications, there's not. I mean, with, with some insurers, they'll they'll contact your GP. So if you've had any medical issues in the past, they might ask your GP for information, which at the minute isn't great because GPs are tending to take quite long to get that information back. Speed up the process. I've seen some companies, they'll maybe send a nurse out to just perform certain mm -hmm. tests. So the, the nurse might turn up and take your height and weight. She might do a saliva test to see if you've ever, or if you've been a smoker when somebody's maybe said non-smoker. So so not necessarily. I, I'd probably say in most cases, they don't need any kind of like medical or, or physical examination carried out. And going back to that for a second, you know, let's just assume that, that that's the case. If they were to look into your uh, medical history, for instance, and find that there is a, I don't know, there's a, a chance that you, you might, you're more likely to contract cancer because it's in your family line, let's say, for instance. If that is the thing that stops you from working, can they write a clause into this that says we will not pay out if... Yeah, if that they'll, is, sometimes, yeah. They, they'll sometimes make exclusions. So they'll, mm. they will look at things like they might exclude any pre-existing medical conditions that someone has. Right. You're right. They'll, they'll look at things like, has there been any family history of a certain thing? And again, they may say, right, if that happens, we wouldn't pay out on, on that. So the, the insurers will sometimes make that type of exclusions as well. I'm sure I've had this before, back before I had children. So when I had money then, <laughs> before the kids came along, and I'm, I'm fairly certain that at that point, the way that my policy kicked in was I had to be off for 30 days consecutively first 
before this policy would, would kick in and sort of give me money. So there's obviously differences with, with different policies. Yeah. How, do you, how do you file a claim and, and, and how quickly can you expect some kind of payout? Yeah, you're right. I mean, some companies you used to get a lot of these short term like accident sickness policies and that a lot of them would work like that. You actually had to be off 30 days and then the pay, the money wouldn't be paid until 30 days after that. So you were still waiting a couple of months for, yeah. for money coming off of it. But the, the claims, what I would say is if, if someone is looking to make a claim, what you want to do, first of all, is notify your insurer and financial advisor as soon as possible. Then I wait or, or delay anything there. What gets paid out and when, it will all be determined by what cover you have and the reasons for, for claiming as well. But the different providers, different policies, they can have sort of different rules. But if you are looking to make a claim, the insurers will look to, to try and help you as soon as possible. And what a lot of insurers have these days as well is not only do they have that benefit that pays out the amount per month? But a lot of them have got added benefits, things to try and help you back to work. Because I guess it's in their interest, if someone goes back to work, they've got less money being paid mm. out there. And then also better for the client as well, because then they're getting their wages quicker. And I have actually seen some insurers where they'll phase people back to work and they'll maybe say, look, you go and do a bit of work and get back into it and we'll still pay you a bit of this money during that period as well. So the insurance companies are pretty good. I know that they sometimes get a bad reputation from, from certain people, but they, they are there to try and help in these sort of circumstances. Are there, I'm thinking if, let's say you, you are employed, so you get some sort of statutory sick pay, uh, you've got this on top. Are there any tax implications or considerations that you need to know about when it comes to income protection insurance benefits? Yeah, the benefits from an income protection policy, they're usually paid out without any tax coming right. off. And, and one of the things here is that this is why insurers will tend to have limits on the amount of cover you can take out. Some people will base the amount of cover that they're taking out on maybe a percentage of their wages. Others might opt for a certain figure. So they might think, right, I want to take out cover for X amount each month so that that pays my mortgage or bills or or whatever. But you, you tend to find a lot of the insurance companies will say, right, the maximum cover you can take out is maybe 60% of what your actual income is. And the reason to do that is because the, there's no tax coming off the actual payout. And, and the whole thing with insurance is, people aren't meant to be in a better position than if they made yeah. like a, a claim. So that's that's why they, they do that and have that kind of limits there. But yeah, benefits are, are generally tend to be paid out without any tax coming off. I'll ask this. I, I can't imagine the answer is going to be something that I don't think it is. But is there is there anyone that this isn't suitable for, Phil? If you had cover already through your work, so okay. some we, we come across it, like some of the big oil companies in the Aberdeen area, they, they've got what's called group PHI policies. Now, PHI stands for permanent health insurance, but it's just another name for, for income protection. So I have seen some people that's got some of these sort of group PHI policies through their, their employer. So if someone had that, having your own income protection maybe isn't so advisable. One thing I would say is if you change jobs, that's a benefit you could lose at that mm. point. And then obviously worth kind of revisiting everything then as well. And I mean, if, if someone's got a lot of savings, they, they might think, well, it maybe not quite so needed. Or or let's say you've got a couple that's maybe both on really good wages and their outgoings are quite low. They might think, well, if one of us is off, the other one's still working to, to pay the bills. I guess, obviously, if they were both off at the same time, then it could cause issues, but you would hope the likelihood of that would be 
pretty low, but you just never know how, how things work. But so there, there probably are some people out there that it wouldn't be, be suitable for as well. You've mentioned this already in, in this podcast, but let's just cover it off again. And I, I'm sure I've asked this before in previous podcasts as well, but the time frame for how long a policy will continue to pay, again, it, it's something that's pretty much determined by cost, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it is. It's how, how long a payout lasts really depends on the policy that's been taken out. And like I say, some policies will pay out for a year, some will do it for to two years, some up to your, your kind of retirement age. So... And then we mentioned about the exclusions as well. It's funny, I was getting, if you've already brought that up, but if you hadn't, I was going to mention that at, at this kind of point as well about things like if, if somebody's had family history mm. or pre-existing medical conditions. Um, so we've kind of covered that already as well. But um, yeah, the, the amount that's paid out and how long for all depends on the policy that was set up in the first place. Is this something, I mean, you can just go online and sort of click and buy and, and set up on your own, Phil? Could I mean there are comparison websites out there, but what I would say with them is they they don't look at all these. They're just basing things on price. Mm. And like I say, some insurers have got like all these added value benefits included in their plans. As a financial advisor, I would be looking at things and saying, right, what's their claims payouts? What sort of things are covered? Maybe what exclusions are there? The downside, if you are going on the comparison websites, is that they are mainly just looking at, at prices. And cheapest isn't always the best. That That's one of the things, mainly just for this type of insurance, but same like your car insurance, you might think, oh, I just want to go with the cheapest, but the excess might be higher or maybe that's comprehensive cover. And it's exactly the same way with income protection. But one thing that my company or my business has got, which can be helpful for people is we, we've got a website which can actually help people determine how much cover they maybe need and they can get sort of indicative quotes there. So the website address is www.philandersonfinancial.co.uk slash insurance. And it's quite a good tool, but I, I would definitely say speaking to a financial advisor is something that, that's worth doing because they can look at things like what sick pay you get. They can look at things like previous health issues and they, they can advise on what is best for your personal circumstances. And at the moment, when you go on the comparison websites, they kind of, they didn't have the facility to do that. They might guide you with, with certain things, but definitely speaking to an independent financial advisor is, is what I would always recommend to people. How can I just say when I said, "Is this something you can do for it on your own and set up and you know just click and buy online?" I could actually feel you shudder. I know. I said, oh, "Don't do it on your own." Tell you what, summarize this one for us and 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 uh, look at the key sort of takeaway points for us, please. You know, one one thing I was going to mention was that more people in the UK take out pet insurance than income protection, uh, and that's actually quite scary. And and the crazy reality there is. When you think everything that you buy, and this includes the stuff for your pets, whether it's pet foods or bedding or whatever it is, all, all that stuff and your bills, it all co- tends to be paid from your income. So if that stops, yeah. all that, everything mm. else sort of stops, but it's just nuts. I mean, it, it's a crazy st- statistic that folk are more likely to insure their pet than themselves. And one thing with COVID, when it came, it placed quite a bit of emphasis kind of on financial resilience and and at that point, more people kind of thought about these sort of products and, and options, but many people just don't consider income protection, and it is such an important area. I suppose we were lucky during COVID that there was like the furlough schemes and yeah. stuff like that, but if it hadn't been for that, a lot of people... But I've actually seen like with long COVID as well, I, I've, we, we've got a client who's off 
long term with long COVID and his income protection policy, it's with Aviva, it, it's paying out right now. I don't know what will happen with him, when he'll go back to work or if he will, but that's just somebody that we've seen in our own office with, with that particular condition. Hmm. And the insurance company's been great. They paid out. Everything's gone sort of swimmingly well with, with that one. So um, it's such an important thing to have or certainly consider having. And I always say some cover's better than nothing. That's a thing. Some people might think, oh, I can't afford it to take that out. And especially when bills are being squeezed and folk don't have as much sort of like disposable cash as, as they maybe once did. So something's better than nothing. I remember what it was I was going to ask you, Phil, in this Income Protection Awareness Week, I wondered if perhaps there were providers who were offering incentives for you to take out income protection at this point in time, you know, so we might give you a couple of months for free, et cetera, et cetera, if there's any promotional stuff going on. Nothing really targeted just for this week. You do get some insurers, I think Vitality at some point will, will have like promotions on where they say, right, we'll refund like the first three months premiums and stuff. But again, your, your financial advisor would be able to go into any that's available at the time that you're looking at it. But there's nothing specifically for Income Protection Awareness Week, or certainly not that I, I know of anyway. If there is, I'll, I'll or come across anything, I'll post it on our various social media channels. Perfect. Right. Now, as we always do, Phil, on your podcast, we take a look at how our subject matter has affected your own life, both professionally and personally. So what do you want to focus on from today's show, Income Protection Awareness Week? Yeah, you, you might actually be surprised, but I, I don't have income protection insurance. <laughs> well, I thought what you, you said probably, there, yeah. You tend to find most financial advisors or people working in financial services often tend to have a lot more cover than, than what most regular people do. The, the reason I don't have it is that if I was off long-term sick, my business can still run profitably without me being here. So I kind of thought, look, way up as like probably an outgoing that I didn't need the same as maybe some other people. But I, I did used to have it though. And, and it gives you the peace of mind. I, I know when I was younger, when you're young, you, you never expect to be off for any length of time. But I guess as you get older, you get more aches and pains and things happening or you see things happening to other people. And it maybe makes you think, crikey, I'm not, infallible as I, I maybe once thought I was, mm. but having income protection or certainly having known, having had it in the past myself, I know the peace of mind that it, it does give you as well. Also on the podcast, a regular bit we delve into is your quote of the week. Being a fan, as you are, of influential and motivational sayings and quotes, what do you have for this week and our topic of income protection awareness week? Yeah, a quote from someone called Andrea Ploss. And it's a wee bit, I often say, protection is seen as the, the cornerstone of financial planning. And this quote is almost a bit similar to that. Remember the three investment strategies, protect your income, earn income, grow your money. There you go. Now, Phil is very keen on trying to help you with your query. So if ever you want to email a question to us, please do. And as always, we can ask them anonymously if you prefer. Let's get on to this week's contact details in a moment. Give it to you after this. Now, this first one's from Marion, and it comes with a bit of background I'm going to fill you in on because it's all relevant. So, hi, Phil. I've been on a career break from the civil service for a while now, about three years. And I'm not sure if I'm going to go back uh, to work at all. In parallel, I've been trying to set up a small business, but I've had some issues, so my plans are all delayed. The idea is that if this business works, I'll be able to resign from my job. I have a small income from property, but it hasn't been enough to set up my own private pension without some harsh choices on how I allocate my reduced monthly budget, that is. So essentially, I have a three-year gap in my pension. I'm 46 and worked in the civil service 
for 17 years. My question is, I understand that we can top up pensions retrospectively up to three years with lump sums, I think, but I don't know if this applies to public sector pensions too. If it does, presumably I should do that before I resign. Or is it better to set up a new private pension from now onwards and live with the three-year gap? I'm assuming I can't retrospectively top up a new private pension. Finally, can I keep topping up the civil service pension even if I do resign at some point, i.e. can I have more than one pension running in parallel? This is actually an episode, Phil. <laughs> I know, it's just about it. <laughs> the, I, I, I love it when we get questions in, and I like being able to try and help people. Now, I must admit that the civil service pension isn't something that's really my forte. We, we do have Andrew Schooler, one of our financial advisors. He's excellent with that sort of thing. So if, if I if I try and answer this and maybe it doesn't make sense or Andrew would probably be a better one to speak to, but I'll try and answer this in, in a kind of number of different stages. You can only make contributions to the civil service pension. It's also known as the alpha pension while you're employed by the civil service. So if you do choose to resign, the pension will be frozen and no further contributions can can be made. So that's the, the first kind of point I would say there. If you're still an active member of the scheme, you can add extra contributions known as extra annual pension. Now, this is done either by a lump sum or monthly payments. How the lump sum will affect the alpha pension depends on the member's circumstances. But there is a really good calculator on the Civil Service Pension Scheme website that can help with this. So I would certainly urge Marion to, to kind of go on there and have a look at that. You can buy added pension by lump sum payments only once during the scheme year. Now that runs from the 1st of April to the 31st of March. And so that's kind of like the, the dates that, that they've got. You can make lump sum contributions either via your salary or by BACS transfer. If you're paying by BACS, the payment's got to come from an account in your own name. You've got to send a completed application form to the scheme administrator before the, the deadline. There is an overall limit to the amount of added pension you can buy, and the limit's reviewed each year and is adjusted in line with the, the rises in the cost of living. The maximum lump sum contribution you can make by salary is one month's salary after the standard pension and national insurance deductions. You can't split your payment over month, multiple months. Your lump sum payments, they're non-refundable. If you're on an unpaid break, as long as you're still an active member of the scheme, you can make a lump sum contribution via back. So there is that there as well. Now, she mentioned about the three-year rule. That's referring to what's called the annual allowance carry forward. If you haven't used your annual pension contribution allowance of £60,000 or earned pensionable income, whichever is the lower, then you can carry forward that unused allowance to the next year as long as there's sufficient income in that year to cover it. Again, probably what I would say is speaking to a financial advisor is, is kind of key, but um, hopefully that kind of makes sense and answers most of the, the things that, that Mariam was kind of asking there. If there's anything that maybe doesn't make sense, contact Andrew because he is a, a whiz with that sort of things. And I was just going to say, all joking aside, you know, when I said it was, a, you know, it's like a full episode here. We understand that when you have queries like this, they're not always just straightforward. They're not just often, you know, one question or one line of a question. 
feel free to give us a bit of background and, and send that into us and we can we can use that when we uh, ask the questions on air if that's how you'd uh, like to do things we don't mind doing it that at any time yeah. next up uh, here's one from Jody in Cumbernauld who asks hi Phil I work from home as a masseuse and have a room in the house set aside for clients is there a smart way to pay insurance which means I don't have to pay twice for both home and work yeah probably depends on what types of insurance but I would say again, like I often promote financial advisors and speaking to them, and and probably what's good for Jody is maybe speaking to like an insurance specialist about something like this. Now, a friend of mine works for a big national company called Marsh. She's actually up in in Inverness. They're a huge insurance broker. Now, if, if Jody did want details of of him, I'd be happy to to kind of pass on that details. But I'd probably say. Yeah, and even for, for this one, probably better speaking to like a specialist insurance broker who would be able to go into things in just a, a bit more detail for her particular circumstances. Perfect. What would you say as well, before you get in touch with a question, you might want to take a look at our back catalogue because we've covered oh, an awful lot of topics now and we may have touched on what you're interested in. I'm Joe Mellis. Thank you for joining us for episode 155 of the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson. If you feel you need a helping hand with anything we've been discussing or anything else of a monetary matter, find Phil for finance. Search Phil Anderson Financial Services online or join the Facebook group for the show. Search Personal Finance Community. That's Personal Finance Community on Facebook. Phil's on Twitter and LinkedIn too, or why not email Phil a question he can answer on a future show. His address is phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. That's phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. Send him your question and Phil could be answering it in an upcoming podcast. And please be assured we won't use your real name if that's what you prefer. Remember, if you found this useful, please rate and recommend us. And also please follow us on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. And then you'll get us every week with the info you want when you need it. You'll get all the links you need on Phil's social media. Good luck with your money. Phil's doing his best to help make that cash go further. We'll see you next time. And thanks for listening. 